you would turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I was in high school, I played baseball. Uh, started my freshman year and went through my senior year. And the first three years I played baseball, I think we won a total of six to eight games. I can't remember precisely. We either won two games or three games a year. Uh, we had, at the beginning of every year, a county tournament that we hosted. Uh, and we would beat Carrier and Popperville. Uh, and then from there, our season would take a nosedive. Uh, and we wouldn't beat anybody else. Uh, we might luck up and win one more game, and those might have been games that I forgot about. But for three years of our life, baseball was pretty much something to keep the football players busy in the springtime, uh, except when they were on spring training. Uh, but we were pretty horrible. Uh, and I can remember my senior year, we got a new coach, because uh, I think the guy that coached us for the last two years couldn't take any more. Uh, and we got a new coach, and one of the first things that he did was he was start he started talking about a goal of going to the playoffs, and, and he was there during the miserable years. Uh, so when he started talking about going to the playoffs as our goal, I can remember me and several other seniors looking at each other, going, "He lost his mind." <laughs> I, I, I mean, he's seen what we've produced the last three years. I mean, it's been miserable. It's been tough to finish the season. Uh, once we got through that county tournament, it, it was rough. Uh, and now we're talking about reaching the goal of making the playoffs. And oddly, my senior year, we made the playoffs. We reached the goal. Um, and, and sometimes I think we need something to aim for. We need something to aim at. And, and if it's not there then we lose our direction. We go around, we wander around, and we hope some good things happen, but our mind is not focused on a particular goal or a particular object. What should we be? We just celebrated Easter last week, and Easter is the beginning of the church year. It is the new church calendar. It is what we celebrate. It is why we are here, the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior. We are here to celebrate and to worship and to sing songs and to praise God. But as a church, what should we be? What should we look at? What should be our aim? What should be our goal? When we approach going through the church year, what should we become? If we do not have any vision or goal or purpose, then likely we're going to wander through a lot of events and we're going to wander through some fellowships and we're going to do various things and a lot of them are going to be successful and a lot of them are going to be fun, but we may not get anywhere particular. We need to understand what does the church need to look like, who do we need to be when we finish up this church year. In other words, what are we aspiring to, what are we trying to become in Ephesians 4, Paul kind of steps back and says, this is what the Christian life should look like, and this is what the Christian life should look like within the confines of a church. So if we're going to develop a goal or a, 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 a specific kind of direction for what we want to become, Ephesians 4 kind of gives us a guideline of what we want to do to be successful as a church. And that's not all about numbers. We can look at events that we've had here on our church grounds, just Easter Saturday, we had hundreds of people here for an Easter egg hunt and, and a fellowship where children got to hear the Easter story. 
and, and got to participate in a lot of fun. That was hugely successful. Last year at a fall fest, I think we averaged over or we ran over a thousand people on our campus. There's been successful functions and, and our children's department in two years time has gone from about 10 kids to about 30 kids on a Wednesday night and on a Sunday morning. There's huge successes all around us, but it's not just about an event being successful. It's not just about a program being successful. It's about a church doing what a church is called to do. And what are we called to do? What are we to be? What are we to represent in the kingdom of God? And in essence, since the church is the people of God, what are we called to do individually within the framework of that organization? Here in Ephesians chapter 4, We'll begin our reading in verse 1, and this is kind of what Paul sees the church as being. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul writes this. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he, ascend, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I want to pause there this morning because he lays the groundwork for what he is going to talk about a little bit later. First of all, he says, I want you to live a life that is worthy of your calling. I had a friend of mine at Derby, every time he talked to his son, whether it was in person or over the phone, he would end the conversation as his son was leaving by saying, remember who you are. And it struck me odd the first time I heard him say it, and I was like, why do you always tell him to remember who he is? Does he have a problem that I'm unaware of that he forgets who he is? And he said, the reason I tell him that is I want him to know that everywhere he goes, he carries my last name. And everything he does represents me. He said, but more than that, I want him to remember that he's a child of God. And everywhere that he walks in this world, he is a child of God. And everything he does represents the children of God. And he said, I want him to be mindful of that all the time. And Paul is making us mindful of that right now. For what he's saying to us is you have a calling that has been placed upon your life. We just celebrated a weekend where Christ was sacrificed and rose again for us to pardon us from our sins and to redeem us from our sins. And we are called by his name. 
We are called as his children. And what Paul says is the first thing we need to do as Christians is live up to that calling. Guys, that is a challenge. That is difficult to live up to the calling that Christ has given you because that calling is to be something different, to be life-changing, to be altered permanently, to truly flow in, in, in the grace of God and the love of God and to seek Him above all else. That is a challenge. In a world that has so much that surrounds us and so many enticing things, it is a challenge to keep our mind and our focus and our heart upon God. But truly, the first thing that we have to do is we have to live up to our calling. We have been called the children of God. We need to behave like the children of God. We need to act like the children of God. We need to represent our God in this world. He says, live worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. He says, if you're going to live up to this calling, if you're really going to represent the children of God, then you're going to have to have some humility. You're going to have to have some gentleness, and you're going to have to have some patience, and you're going to have to bear with one another. Does he understand what Paul is saying here is to live up to the calling that you receive He's not, speaking to you in, he's not speaking to you individually anymore. What he's saying is if you're going to live up to the calling that you received by Christ, then you need to join together. And how you're going to do that is you're going to be patient, you're going to be gentle, and you're going to be humble so that you might bear with one another. You see, the purpose that we've been called to is a communal purpose. Because the purpose that we've been called to is nothing short of changing this world, impacting this world. For the longest time in my life, and, and, and as Immanuel Kant once stated, that we can't really be aware of all our motives. Many times we act and we think we're acting because of a particular reason, but if we dig down deep into our subconscious, there may be other motives there. But there's the longest time in my life I wanted to have an impact upon the world. I wanted to change the world. There was a time period in my life where I wanted to go into politics because I thought that was a way that you could impact the world. Then I got married, and she told me if I ever went into politics, she'd divorce me, and I love my wife too much to do politics. So there was a sense of even just deep down embedded within my soul there's this desire to impact the world to change the world and it may be a motive that I want to be well known one day or it may be a motive that I don't want to be forgotten about maybe it's a seeking after immortality of some sense or maybe it's just a pure altruistic motive of wanting to change the world or impact the world but that cannot be done individually it just cannot be done you have to have individuals that will join you in that cause. You have to have individuals with that same desire. And I believe one of the greatest desires that the church needs to have is that we impact the world, that we change the world. Christ impacted the world, and he called his disciples to impact the world. He, he caused his disciples to, to, to truly change the world. Guys, that's what we need to be about. We can't sit back and just say, man, the world is a disgusting place or the world is a dark place or the world is just falling apart around us. And we can't sit in the safety of our sanctuaries while we do nothing about it. But what the church has to do is it has to respond to that world and it has to change that world and it has to impact that world. How do we impact the world? Well, one, we impact the world by living up to our calling. We have to be the children of God. 
But two, we impact that world by joining together. Because when we join our spirits together and when we join our minds together and when we join our hearts together, the impact that we can have in this world is far greater than the impact that we can have as individuals. And what Paul is saying is if you want to be a children, uh, if you want to act like the children of God, then you've got to join together. This is not speaking to just the individual child of God. This is speaking to the children of God. And what he's saying is if you're going to join together and you're going to have one purpose and one goal and you're going to reach that purpose and that goal, then you're going to have to have patience and you're going to have to have humility and you're going to have to have forgiveness and you're going to have to join together so that you can bear one another's with one another. Guys, he understands that uniting lives together is a difficult aspect. He understands that when you bring people together, you better have patience. You better have some humility because if you got any pride at all, there's going to be divisions when you bring individuals together. What Paul is saying is get beyond yourself so that you can see what God wants to do with you. Get beyond yourself so God can use his church for the purpose that he set his church apart for. So that the bride of Christ can truly be the bride of Christ. It's going to take humility, it's going to take patience, it's going to take gentleness, and it's going to take bearing with one another when we make mistakes and when we falter. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What Paul is saying is there's a whole lot more that unites us than divides us. Remember, in the world that Paul was in, his churches were comprised of Jews and Greeks coming together, Jews and Gentiles, people who had totally different cultures, people who had totally different backgrounds and totally different experiences, and people who believed that the world or, or that the, the, the life that one lived for God should look vastly different from each other. And he brought them together, and what he said to them is instead of focusing on all the differences, instead of focusing on the fact that you're Jewish and you're Gentile, or you'll eat pork and you won't eat pork, instead of focusing on all the differences that divide us and separate us, focus on what unites us and brings us together. There is one Lord, there is one God, there is one Spirit, there is one salvation, there is one Christ, there is one hope that you are called to. There is oneness in the family of God. And what we've done for centuries is we focused on those things that are divisive rather than those things that are uniting. And what Paul reminds us to do is go back to the fact that there is one God who is over all. There is one Christ. There is one spirit. There is one baptism. There is one father. There is one hope that you are called to. There is one God who is in all and above all and is truly walking with us all. Guys, we are united in all those things. Sometimes what we find with our eyes and sometimes what we find in life is the things that divide us rather than the things that unite us. And Paul says, if you're going to do the things that the church needs to do, then you need to get beyond the things that divide you. And you need to get to those things that unite you. Find them. And the number one thing that unites us is God and his call upon us. He goes on to speak about that call that God has given us through Christ. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And he 
goes into Christ descending first before he ascended. Many interpret that as he went down to the spirits as an ancient tradition within the Christian church. Uh, this passage itself only speaks necessarily to a descent. It speaks maybe of Christ coming down out of heaven and walking upon the earth. But most certainly Christ humbled himself even beyond that point to take Philippians 2. And it says that he humbled himself to the point of death. So if nothing else, Christ was descended into this world from heaven above. And he was descended into the earth itself as he went into a tomb for three days. But we find that Christ descended himself out of glory to walk upon this earth. And then he was ascended back into heaven. And what Paul says is the ascension of Christ, what he has done is he has gifted each and every one of us. He goes on and he says this, it was he who gifted, I'd give you the verse reference if I could see it, but I've still lost my glasses. I think it's 11. Um, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So he says what Christ did was he gifted each and every one of us so that we might join together and that we might teach one another and we might equip one another so that we might be the people who reach the goal that God has given us. Understand what Paul is saying. Paul is saying Christ gave each of you a gift to build the kingdom of God. You might not yet know what that is, but Paul is saying you have something that God has given you in particular through Christ to build his kingdom. It may be a, 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 a gift of organization. It might be a gift of administration. It might be a gift where your personality is just one that when you walk in a room, people felt like they know you for years. It may be simply a gift of compassion or generosity. It may be a gift of teaching or preaching or, 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 or something of that nature. But what he is saying is Christ has equipped each and every one of us, has given us a gift so that we might bring those gifts together and equip, equip one another to do the work of God and the goals that he has given us, we might reach them. Guys, understand the importance of that. What Paul is in essence saying is you have been chosen to do something to build the kingdom of God. If you vacate that responsibility, if you choose not to use that gift within his kingdom, within his church, who suffers for that? Well, you suffer, one, because you are not doing the things that you have been called to do. You are not fulfilling the purpose of your life. But his kingdom suffers for that as well. God has enabled us and has entrusted us with building his kingdom. And what, what Paul says is you have a particular gift that was given you for the people of God. And what you're supposed to do with that gift is you're supposed to build one another up and equip one another and, and, and truly edify one another, building them up and encouraging them. Guys, we are to equip one another to do the work God has called us to. That's the purpose of the church. And in equipping one another, we continue to grow as Christians so that we might mature. That we are no longer left as infants or children that are tossed back and forth. But rather we mature into strong Christian individuals who are better at equipping those who are around us. 
so my call in life by God is not one that is just a personal call. My call in life that God has given me is one that must be invested in his kingdom. If it is not being invested in his kingdom, then I am wasting it. And I am not fulfilling the purpose that Christ has given me. Paul says you must come together so that you might unite and equip one another for what God has called us to do. As this map represents the United States. And a small portion of what we're doing will go to help reach the United States. At Christmas time, we, we did an offering that impacts the world as it impacts missionaries that go around the world. But our impact that we are called to make in this world is far greater than 1250 or, or whatever our goal was that we reached at Lottie Moon. We are called as individuals and as a group of people that God has united together as Goodyear Baptist Church to impact the world that is around us. And to do that, we need to be equipped, we need to be built up, we need to be edified, we need to be made stronger together so that we might be able to reach the goals that Christ has for us. He has equipped us. He has given us the gifts that are necessary. We have to invest them. We have to use them. We have to join together. If we will not unite, if we do not unite, and if we do not invest our gifts into his kingdom, then his kingdom hurts for it. And here we are saying that we love our God and we want to worship our God and we want to praise our God. Do we mean that we want to worship our God and praise our God to the level that we want to be committed to our God as well? Because it is an issue of commitment and dedication. Guys, if we want to be the children that he's called us to be, then we've got to be committed and dedicated to him. And we have to encourage and equip one another so that we might truly do those things. He says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, but rather we will be mature individuals who can hold to the teaching that we are supposed to hold to as we have been built up in Christ. Let's go on and begin our reading in verse 17 where it says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. So what he's saying is, one, we have to make sure our hearts are conditioned to hear the voice of God. Because we can't give ourselves over to sensuality or, or to the desires of the flesh. We have to condition our hearts so that we can hear God's voice. The Gospel of John teaches us that those who follow Christ know His voice. He is the good shepherd. His sheep know His voice. Because we've got to know His voice. To know his voice, we've got to speak with him. We've got to commune with him. We've got to be one with him. That should be our greatest desire. Our hearts have to be soft to hear his voice and to be concerned with what his voice says. It's one thing to hear. It's another thing to appreciate what is being told to us. At a very young age, I would at least I think it was a very young age, I developed this great resource of mine when I was playing sports or doing other things and individuals were chewing me out for no good reason. At least I'd say it was no good reason. I probably had good reason. 
but I was able to look at their forehead and nod yes the whole time and not take in a single word they said. Full agreement, absolute no disrespect whatever. They thought I was listening to every word. They thought I was assenting to every word. And what I'd done has, was just absolutely dismiss what they were telling me. I remember getting chewed out on a pitcher's mound one time. They held up the game because the pitcher could not warm up because I was getting chewed out or something. And all I remember is looking at a forehead and nodding up and down. I heard the words. I'm sure I did. I don't remember exactly what they were. But guys, we got to be more than hearers. We got to be individuals who desire to hear the voice of God, even when it is conviction, even when it disagrees with who we are, even when it's transformative and it says to us, You are not who you need to be. We got to desire to hear that voice. That's what it means to soften our hearts. If you come to God and your heart's already hardened, you don't care what he says. You ever ask somebody for advice, but you wanted particular advice from them, and if you didn't get the advice you wanted, you didn't appreciate it very much? Sometimes that's the way we approach God. I remember being a youth minister, and I had a couple of girls who volunteered to paint the women's bathroom at the small church I was at, and they called me in. I told them, go ahead for it. The church approved the color of paint. Um, I didn't see anything with it. Um, they called me in after they got through and went, Brother Jimmy, I want you to come look at our job. I said, I don't really care to look in the girls' bathroom. They went, no, we want to see it. We want to show you what we did. Opened up the door. I still say it was one of the worst colors I've ever seen in my life. I have no idea how they got a, people to assent to allow them to paint anything that way. At least it was a small bathroom that only half the church would see. And I'm looking at it, and they go, what do you think? I said, I think it's beautifully done. And they said, what do you think of the color? And I went, my wisdom told me to lie. There are times in this life, ethically, that you should lie. Most of them come for males when they are talking to females. There's no doubt about this. I think Kant would agree, Aristotle, all the great thinkers would say, lie your tail off when you're talking to a female and you need to. It's ethically proven. Um, I was standing there and the girls looked at me and went, we want honesty. We don't care what you think, we just want you to be honest with us. And I went, if they ask for it, I've got to, I mean, they ask me to be honest. I said, I think that is the worst color ever developed in the history of humankind. It was honest. They asked for honesty. That's what they wanted. They got their feelings hurt and wouldn't talk to me for two weeks. They didn't want honesty. They wanted me to go. It's the most beautiful bathroom I've ever seen. I wish the men's was done this way. I would spend more time in there if it was this color. they, They wanted something of that nature. But when I spoke truth to them, because I guarantee you everybody walked in that bathroom was like, this is horrible. Uh, nobody else would just say it. I, I had the backbone to say it. They had the tear ducts to prove that I had the backbone to say it. Uh, it was a struggle. They didn't want to hear my opinion. They didn't want to hear it, what I would call the truth. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, evidently. But what they wanted to hear was, it's beautiful. And a lot of times we approach God and we say, God, 
you know, I'm here and I'm in prayer and, and I want you to tell me that my life's good and my life's beautiful and my life's nice. And what God sometimes tells us is that our life is not beautiful, our life is not nice, and we need to get a lot of things in order. And then sometimes he tells us it's going to be rather challenging to get those things in order. And we don't want to hear that voice. We want to hear the encouraging voice, the happy voice, the voice that says, I love you just where you are, and, 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 and I embrace you where you are, and you don't have to do anything, and you don't have to change anything. Guys, sometimes when we come to God and when we go to the scriptures, we are challenged about who we are. And if we're not, then we're not reading the scriptures. Because let me tell you, every day that Peter and, and Matthew and James and John sat around, sat around Christ, it wasn't just simply, they were loved. They felt their love. But if you read the Gospels, they were also challenged to be better people than they were. Why do you think Christ looked at them so many times and said, you people of little faith, how much longer must I be with you? When Peter is sinking in the sea after walking on the water and Christ reaches down to him with his hand to lift him up again and he says, you of little faith. And listen, that's challenging. And if it was us, we would have probably been like, but I'm the only one that got out of the boat, Jesus. You couldn't say, man, I'm so proud of you, Peter. The other 11 was so chicken, they just sat in the boat. He didn't say that. He said, you of little faith, because he took his eyes off him. Yeah, sometimes we need to be challenged. Sometimes we need to be told who we need to be rather than who we are. And sometimes we're told who we need to be by truly being told who we are. He goes on, he says this. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We have to change from that which is old to that which is new and only can be done through Christ and his spirit. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. In other words, do not just do not receive and keep receiving, keep receiving. At some point in time, you have to invest. At some point in time, you have to do something. Find out what it is that you need to be doing and do it. Get invested, get committed, get dedicated to it. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Once again, you hear him speaking of terms of unity. Be able to forgive. Be able to forgive one another, be compassionate to one another, be kind to one another. Do not slander, do not brawl, do not have anger, do not have rage, do not have bitterness. What he's saying is that the church 
is going to be the church that God wants it to be, it needs to be formed in such a way that we are aspiring to the same goal. What is that? To build the kingdom of God. We can talk about how Goodyear Baptist Church needs to define itself. But in some ways, the principles that Paul is speaking of here goes much broader than that, and he's speaking of the universal church. And what he's saying is this is what the church must be. We must be united, not just within these four walls, but we must be united so that we can accomplish the things that are set before us. Do not focus on the things that divide. Focus on the things that bring us together. Do not criticize. Do not lie. Build one another up. Edify one another up. And equip one another to do the things God's called us to do. That's our purpose. That's who we need to be. As Goodyear Baptist Church, and I'm not quite sure all the ways that we will do this year, but I am certain of this. As Goodyear Baptist Church, our greatest calling is to impact the world for Christ this year. Not sometime long off in the future, but this year. We may do it through the children that come through our back doors during the week for daycare and they're learning the principles of God. We may do it through our children's department, our youth department. We may do it church-wide through every age group and every bracket. But that is most certainly has to be our goal, that we have an impact in this world that is felt throughout. Guys, it cannot be anything short of that. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the call that God has given me is to impact the world in which I live in. This world should be a better place because I have lived in it. And I most certainly would think this world should be a better place because Goodyear Baptist Church has existed in it. Guys, if we're going to do that, then we need to unite. Our focus needs to be one upon God. We need to mature so that we are not tossed to and fro, but that we are mature individuals in Christ, and we need to invest in His kingdom, for we all carry gifts with us that will allow us to accomplish what God has called us to. And without everyone investing, we will struggle to do all the things God's called us to. It is time for us to commit. It is time for us to be dedicated. It is time for us to change the world. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning. We thank you for the words of Paul. We thank you for the encouragement of your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that this will be a church that will equip well, will edify always, and will be united under your spirit and under your leadership. Lord, we are called to have a great impact upon the world that is around us. We cannot do it as individuals. We must do it together as we are called and united as one church under your lordship. May we always honor the head of the church, Christ himself. May we walk in your light. And Lord, may we shine that light into the world wherever we go. God, we come before you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. This morning we'll have a time of invitation. Any decisions that need to be made in a public fashion, feel free to come forward at this time. If you'll please stand. Thank you.